Malachi chapter 2. Again, if you're um, using uh, the uh, hardback Bible that we have, you'll find it on page 801. If not, and you're still a little confused as to where in the world Malachi might be, uh, find the New Testament. You can handle that. Find Matthew and then back up uh, the book right before that. It's the last book in the Old Testament. It's not the last one written. Um, uh, first and second uh, Chronicles were written later, but it is the last one in uh, our Bibles. This morning we will uh, look at the first nine verses of chapter two. Um, and let me ask that you stand as we read God's word together. And now, O priest, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I've already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have Send this command to you that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge. And people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. Uh, The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray. We pray, our great God and our King, that you would uh, grant us your spirit now that we might, uh, even as we just sang, that we might read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest this, your holy word, uh, for our good and for your glory. Through Christ we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I have a feeling some of you probably assume uh, that this is true, uh, so I will gladly admit it. Uh, Some passages uh, are more difficult to preach than others. There are some that uh, many times I think, in fact, some of you have even suggested that... um, Maybe we should just skip this one. Maybe we should just um, not bother with this one. Uh, Perhaps it deals with a difficult subject. Uh, Perhaps it's some of Paul's lengthy, one long sentence that lasts half a chapter with logic that requires a lot of untangling and trying to figure all that out. Maybe it's, um, I don't know, language that's, Difficult to translate. Maybe it's, I mean, it could be any number of reasons. There, there have been a few, particularly as we um, worked our way through the book of Genesis, that we literally got here on Sunday morning and thought, 
this is one of those. This is one of those that really, if I were going to be honest with myself and with everyone else around me, this is a passage we ought to skip. Um, well, in my mind, this is one of those passages. Uh, it's, it's addressed to the priests. It's addressed to the men whose job it is to stand before the congregation and, and open God's Word. And so I would gladly close in prayer now and let's just leave and go home. Technically, the previous passage was written to priests also, but it had a much broader application, a much broader implication, a much broader uh, context because the people were bringing lame, blind, blemished sacrifices. And the priests who were supposed to examine and essentially approve those sacrifices weren't doing that either. And so everyone was guilty in the previous section. In this second half, really, of the same disputation, it's really the second half of the same uh, case against the people, God focuses His attention exclusively on the priests. Notice, we see, we're reminded, really, uh, we're not informed, we're reminded. Again, this is the last book of the Old Testament. It's written, um, it, you have to sort of follow your history of Israel a little bit. Um, Israel, uh, the father of the twelve tribes, leaves Egypt. Well, the, the tribes do, and they go heading to the Promised Land. Uh, they live there in the Promised Land. They are eventually are exiled for their disobedience. Um, Israel, the northern kingdom, is in Assyria. Uh, the Judah, the southern kingdom, sort of conquered by Babylon, taken into exile. That's Daniel. Uh, so there's your sort of, oh, there's my marker. Um, and now they're allowed to go home. In Malachi's day, they're, they're back. The temple's been rebuilt. The sacrificial system has been restarted. So we're reminded of a distinguished priesthood in verses 4 through 7. Notice that, that God says He's made this covenant with Levi. Levi was... Jacob's third son, Reuben, Simeon, Levi. If you recall, because we it's not hadn't been that long, I don't guess, since we uh, finished the series in uh, Genesis. Levi partnered with his older brother Simeon uh, to double cross the Shechemites and kill them all. They, they promised, if you will be circumcised, you can, you can marry our sister. And then three days after they were all circumcised, they said, now's the time. We got them. And they put them all to the sword, all the men, to death. So Levi is a double-crossing murderer. Why reach so far back in Israel's history? Why reach from the last book of the Old Testament all the way back to the first book of the Old Testament? Why, why reach back from uh, what, is, what appears to be some of the last priests in Israel's, in, in Old Covenant Israel, back to the first one? Well, here's why. To remind you all over again of the overwhelming and unmerited grace of God. Levi, the double-crossing murderer, the lying, cheating murderer, is the father of the priesthood. 
He's the, the first of those. He's the, it's His descendants. It's His ancestors. It's the, the people who will come from Levi whose job it will be to proclaim God's Word among God's people. In fact, he, he makes reference to that covenant relationship that he's made with Levi. Interestingly enough, I think he refers back to, to Numbers chapter 25. Turn back to Numbers 25. Let's see where this uh, comes from. Uh, in the beginning of, of Numbers chapter 25, while Israel lived in Shittim, the people began uh, to whore with the daughters of Moab. These invited the people to uh, the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, Take all the chiefs of the people and, and hang them in the sun before the Lord, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. And Moses said to the judges of Israel, Each of you kill those, uh, kill those of his men who have yoked themselves to Baal of Peor. And behold, one of the people of Israel came and brought a Midianite woman to his family in the sight of Moses, in the sight of the whole congregation of the people of Israel. And while they were weeping in the entrance of the tent of meeting, and when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose, left the congregation, grabbed his spear, and went after the man, man of Israel into the chamber and pierced both of them, the man and the woman, through. Pinned them to the floor. Then verse 10, The Lord said to Moses, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned back my wrath from the people of Israel in that he was jealous with my jealousy among them so that I did not consume the people of Israel. Therefore, verse 12, Behold, I give to him my covenant of peace. There's that language from Malachi 2. And it shall be to him and to his descendants after him the covenant of a perpetual priesthood. So there's the, the reference that Malachi is making to the covenant that God made with Phineas, with Levi's descendant. The family was already established as the priest. That was already their job. That was already their role, their function that reaches back into Exodus. But notice that it's a distinguished priesthood. God is establishing the, old, the, the office, the role of the priesthood in Israel. And he, he reminds us in verses 6 and 7 what these priests were supposed to do. Notice in verse 6 of Malachi 2, True instruction was in his mouth. No wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness. He turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge. People should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. The priest is supposed to know God's Word and understand it and teach it and apply it to people's lives. People were supposed to be able to come and, and ask questions. And, and he was supposed to have answers. He was to speak truth and to speak God's Word for the people. And, I mean, in, in fact, it, 
in verse 2, we get a, a glimpse in days gone by of the of the honor and the fear that the priest had for God. You, you realize that the word fear typically in the Bible isn't, isn't cower in fear because they're going to destroy me. It's a reverence and awe. It's, it's honor. And, and in verse 2, uh, we're told that if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, the word honor there, the Hebrew word kavod, it's usually glory. It's, it's weight. It's heavy. The reality is, C.S. Lewis's book, The Weight of Glory, is actually a word play. Because glory in Hebrew is actually weighty or heavy. It's that kind of, of word. And so the priest was supposed to honor, to, to carry God's name as though it were weighty and heavy and to be revered and honored in every sphere. These priests in times past spoke truth and faithfully and accurately taught God's law to His people. You know, I've got to be honest with you, it's, it's books like Numbers and, and Leviticus and that, that make me glad we live when we do. Um, I've got psoriasis. It's not always there. It doesn't always show up. Every now and then it'll flare up. Oddly enough, since living in Athens, I don't think I've had a flare-up at all. Uh, I went an entire year not being able to play golf or guitar because my hands were just ruined. Psoriasis would render me unclean and unable to perform the duties and functions of a priest in the old days, in the old covenant. If you had psoriasis, you actually would come to me if you had some random lesion, if you had some skin disease, if you were bleeding randomly from some random place, you would come to the priest and get, get confirmation, affirmation. Are you clean or unclean? Can you participate in congregational life? Or do you have to go live, spend a week in isolation and come back again later for another examination to see if you're clean or unclean? That makes me incredibly grateful to live after Christ to live in the new covenant era. The priest, those parts of the Bible, some of you, it's still January. Some of you perhaps have started a reading through the Bible in a year plan. Perhaps some of those of you that started one are actually still doing it. And the parts of the Bible that we tend to skip the parts of the Bible where our eyes sort of roll back in our heads and go, I don't even know. I, I got no. It was the priest's job to know it, to understand it, to have it memorized and know how to apply it in the lives of the people. So you can see my hesitation for preaching this passage. It's a reminder, quite honestly, of the failures of ministers everywhere. Of every minister of the gospel. It's, it's enough to make me, perhaps all of us, run and hide. We see the distinguished priesthood. Then he shows us the, the disobedient priesthood in verses 8 and 9. 
the priests in Malachi's day were not doing what they were supposed to be doing. They weren't faithfully teaching God's Word. They weren't faithfully applying God's Word to the lives of their people. For that matter, they weren't faithfully living out God's Word either, another part of their responsibility back in verses 5 and 6 and 7. Instead, rather than leading people from iniquity, rather than saving people from sin, they instead are causing people to stumble. They're leading them into it. They're corrupting uh, the people and this covenant that God made with Levi. They're failing on every count. This is one of the reasons, by the way, our New Testament reading a few minutes ago, we'll see the connection with James 2. Uh, we could just as easily have chosen James 3, which begins with a warning, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. Because of the, the weight and expectation on the office, the role, the function of teaching. In many words, there is ample opportunity for sin. Uh, in teaching, Anything said out of context, anything said slightly off, slightly wrong, slightly out of accord with God's word will be heard. It will be believed. It will be lived out by others. And the teaching ministry of the church then is at risk of leading people astray, which is exactly what the priests in Malachi's day were doing. I wish we didn't have examples of this in the world around us. I really wish we could look at the churches in Athens. We could look, look at the, the church around the world and say, there are no examples of false teachers in any of these churches. Oh, for the day when we could truly say everyone is faithfully and rightly and accurately proclaiming God's Word and preaching it and applying it to the lives of their people. Unfortunately, we know that's not true. For that matter, last year, perhaps somewhat famously, Andy Stanley, Charles Stanley's son, stands up and says, we need to unhitch the New Testament. We need to unhitch modern Christianity from the Old Testament. We need to throw out the Old Testament. There's dangerous teaching some of it sounds plausible. Some of it sounds good. Some of it's obvious. You know, it rarely ever begins with blatant heresy. A preacher that stands up and says, you should worship the devil. We know better. Our ears are, are ready to hear that. And we get up and run, I trust. And yet we're surrounded by false teaching I don't mean surrounded here in Athens. I mean the world is riddled with all sorts of false teaching claiming to be Christian, claiming to follow God's Word. To be honest with you, you can sort of understand the priest's struggle in the previous passage, right? Somebody brings a, a blemished lamb. It's, it's a little bit lame. It's blind in one eye. It's got a little bit of a limp. You can almost understand the priest, especially in light of 
our modern culture, you can understand the priest was supposed to say, this is not a spotless, unblemished lamb. We need to try again. That's what he was supposed to say. And even you and I go, that sounds kind of harsh. That sounds a little brutal. But that unblemished lamb was supposed to represent Christ who Himself was spotless, who Himself was unblemished. We would want as good and accurate a representation as possible. Think of all the ways that the church today, they meant well. I mean, maybe they didn't know that I was blind. Who am I to judge their heart? I, I know what they mean. And, and it would be really awfully you know, judgmental of me to say that's out of accord with God's Word. It's not that lame. It's only got a little limp. Think of all the ways that, that the world around us today would look at those priests and go, any of those are perfectly acceptable. There's all sorts of reasons why a priest might withhold that sort of judgment and evaluation on a blemished sacrifice. And yet there's one reason for him to, to, to say something. There's one reason for the priest to ask the offerer of the sacrifice to try again. And that one reason is God's holy word. The point of the passage is... That's all the reason we need. That, that is the reason. That should be our aim. God's holiness and the, the authority of His Word should be what we follow. It's the priest's job to obey God rather than men. He's to honor and fear God, His holiness, His Word, rather than, more than He honors and fears men. In fact, that's the problem, verse 9. And here's why we read James 2 just a few minutes ago. They're showing partiality. People would come in with sacrifices. And if you were a, the head of a clan, if you were the head of a, a wealthy, influential family, then we can overlook the lame lamb that you just brought. If you're poor and have no standing, social standing at all, then, well, of course we're going to apply God's Word. Of course we're going to do what God says because that's what God says. Of course we're going to do that. The priests were showing partiality and, and favoritism. They're respecters of persons. You know, I say this, I, I, I promise. This is another one of the reasons you're tempted to skip these kinds of passages. I say this not to my credit. I say this to let you know the temptation is real. A check that comes to the office or an envelope that comes to the office that looks like it holds a check. I'm scared to open. I don't open it. It goes straight to Bob in the bank bag. I don't want to know because I don't know what I would do if I did know. I'm scared of what Showing partiality. If you sort of knew, these are what people are giving. If I knew all that information, there's no telling what the sin in me would do. 
showing partiality. Playing favorites with the rich is a, a real thing in churches today. And James 2 guards against it. And that's the accusation against the priests here in Malachi 2. They're treating people according to their wallet size rather than according to the Bible. Their partiality, their failure to teach and live God's commands finally leads to a disgraced priesthood. A distinguished priesthood, a disobedient priesthood, and finally the disgraced priesthood in the first three verses. If the priests won't obey, which they aren't, if they won't hear, heed God's warning, which they aren't, they should expect His anger and His wrath. In fact, he lays out, God lays out the, the consequences for this failure. And notice, they sort of, they expand. We see the width and the depth of these uh, consequences, the breadth and the depths. The priests themselves would be cursed, we're told. God will also curse their blessings. That, that blessing that they pronounce on the congregation would actually turn into a curse because of their own disobedience. They're supposed to be pronouncing blessing. They're supposed to be there for the, the good of the people. And because of their failures, because of their disobedience, they're leading others astray and their blessings become curses. Notice too the depth of the impact of the consequences for their disobedience. We're in the South. Ancestry is sort of a thing. Some of you have done the Ancestry.com thing. A growing number of people um, are doing it. Every, every so often, somebody new will say, hey, look what I did. Here's my, here are my people. I'm part this and part that and a little of this other thing. The priesthood was determined by ancestry, by heredity. It was a family. If you weren't Aaron's descendant, if you weren't in Aaron's line of the tribe of Levi, you were never going to be a priest. If you were in Aaron's line, you were going to be a priest. The, the role, the function, the responsibility of the office was established by genealogy, by heredity uh, more than anything else. And yet, notice in verse 3, I will rebuke your offspring God says that word rebuke sort of carries with it the notion of of diminish or cut off. In other words, we're, we're going to cut the family tree short. We're going to lop off the remainder of the branches. There's going to be an end to this family tree. It's, it's going to come to an end because of your disobedience. We're going to cut this family tree short. And then finally, the low point in verse 3, the end of verse 3, they have dung spread on their faces. Yes, dung. Yes, fecal matter. It's unclean. It's all the, the innards, the stomach, the intestines, uh, and, and whatever else that was supposed to, of, of the offering that was supposed to be carried out of town, away from the temple, and burned up. Because it is unclean. 
the priests whose job it is to live a clean life before the people becomes himself the epitome of uncleanness. And God's the one who spreads the dung there. It's not it accidentally got on you. It's I will do this to you because of your disobedience. No longer able to carry out their, their function and office as priests. They're, they're now unclean. They're perpetually unclean. They've got to go live outside the camp. They're not able to be there in the temple. They're not able to offer sacrifices. They're not able to proclaim God's Word to the people. They're not able to live with the people. They instead are outside of the camp because they're unclean. That's their disobedience. That's what their disobedience brings on them. The distinguished priesthood, the disobedient priesthood, and the disgraced priesthood. And you can see why I'd love to skip this passage. It puts great weight on the work of the ones who would be called and set apart to serve in the church as the spokesman, the mouthpiece of God. It brings me back to the announcement I made a few minutes ago about Presbytery in a couple of weeks, a week and a half. It makes me thankful to be Presbyterian where there are committees, there are groups of people examining potential ministers to test their orthodoxy, to test gifts, to test, test their knowledge and understanding and to approve them for the office. And for that matter, when they wander and stray to come after them and, and pursue restoration. That's what you should be looking for in a, in a preacher. When the day comes that I die and I'm no longer here at Grace Covenant Church, or if you move somewhere else, look for someone who will proclaim God's Word to His people. But there's actually a little more to this passage than that. The priest was supposed to be cleaner holier, um, more ceremonially pure than the rest of the people. You know you have that priest. And it's not me. You have that priest who is ceremonially, permanently clean. From whom... There was no true instruction was in his mouth. No wrong was found on his lips. He walked in peace with the Father and uprightness. He turned many from iniquity. You have that priest who both offered the perfect unblemished sacrifice and who himself was the perfect unblemished sacrifice. The pure offering for sin. The great high priest who intercedes for us before the Father who pleads our innocence because of His righteousness. Because of His life and death. You realize the threat to these priests actually came true? I'm going to rebuke your offspring. I'm going to cut off. I'm going to diminish. The family tree was cut short. It actually came true. And yet the promise stands, verse 4. I'm going to show, I'm going to prove 
even in carrying out this judgment that my covenant, so that my covenant with Levi can stand. How can a covenant stand, remain in effect when the priesthood seems to have been cut off? Because Christ is that priest. It was taken from Levi. It was given to Christ who belonged to the tribe of Judah, mind you. So that he might be a priest forever. The final true priest whose word is always right and true, whose life is always right and pure and perfect. Jesus is the greater Levite. Jesus is the greater Aaron. Jesus is the greater priest, the one in whom there is true instruction. And He even said, it is my food to do the will of my Father. There was no wrong on His lips. The one who alone has walked with God in peace and uprightness and will turn many away from iniquity. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for a pure and perfect priest. We hesitate, I certainly hesitate at the thought that every earthly priest, every earthly preacher, every earthly proclaimer of the gospel is a failure. But Father, we thank you that that only reminds us yet all over again that our hope is not in man. Not a mere man, but in Christ. The one who faithfully obeyed your every command and yet then turned around and offered the pure, perfect, spotless, unblemished sacrifice, which ended up being himself. Both lamb and priest in our Savior Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, would you continue to intercede for us? Would you see to it that we grow in holiness? That we long to know and understand your word, that we might speak truth and live for the honor and glory and weight of our Heavenly Father. We pray all of this in the name of Christ. Amen.